Welcome to Drop Everything Podcast number 25. The quarter century mark has been reached, and we have a very good guest to, to celebrate, Jacob Sharp, one of the top 40 most popular jugglers in the world, according to the online poll. Now, this uh, podcast comes from the archives. We did this, I think, last year, maybe at the end of the summer last year. We had a bit of a backup, but we finally got to Jacob Sharp. And I think you'll really enjoy this podcast. He talks about his experiences as MIT student, his experiences in different circus festivals, his work on the street, his work with his partner, and so much more. So we're going to get to that in a second, but first let's thank our two sponsors for this episode. First and foremost is the IJA, International Jugglers Association, a group I've been involved with since my first convention in 1980. And now we're going on to 2016 with the new festival being in El Paso, Texas. And I'll be there as a special guest to MC the Welcome Show. And looking forward to the big competition where they have a $10,000 first prize for both the teams and individuals. And of course, information can be found about the IJ at juggle.org. The second sponsor is my personal coaching website, braindrizzles.com. I work mostly with professionals, actually I work only with professionals, people who want to be professional comedy performers, whether you're a comedy magician, comedy juggler, comedy memory expert, whatever you have to do in the way of comedy, I can help you to become a better comedian and performer. It's a proven fact. Just ask my wife. Yes, honey? She's nodding her head yes. All right, without further ado, let's get on to our podcast with the fantastic pink short wearing Jacob Sharp. Welcome to the Drop Everything Podcast, a fantastic juggler, all the way from Boston, Mr. Jacob Sharp. Welcome, Jacob. Hello. Thank you. Now, you're one of my favorite jugglers. I've used you in a couple of the IJA shows, and I think of you as kind of a juggling superhero with Ooh. all your myriad of skills. I imagine you're in the womb as a baby moving your arms in that juggling pattern, <laughs> but let's go to the origin story of Jacob Sharp. How did you discover juggling and learn this fantastic uh, art form? Uh, well, my dad had taught himself to juggle when he was in business school, so I I was kind of aware of it from day one, I guess. I don't know. He was a bit of a hobby juggler. Hmm. So he'd juggle around the house and you'd see him do it? Yeah, and he, I mean, he kind of got into it for the benefit of me and my brother, I think. Like, he'd done it before, but just three balls, but then once we were born, he kind of got like a new prop each year and learned it, like clubs, and then started to get fire stuff and Diablo, which he hadn't done before. But he'd like always been a big circus fan and he'd done unicycle as a kid and gymnastics. And what was his profession? Uh, he was ex executive, a business guy. Okay. So an executive who had a little uh, penchant for juggling on the side, especially when his Kim's kids came along. So what age were you when you decided to try it for yourself? Well, three ball juggling, I, I'd like tried my hand at, I guess, from Ivon, but had never gotten very far. I went to the Circus Smirkus summer camp, and that's where I first learned three balls. But I could already do some basic devil stick and Diablo stuff at that point. So what is Circus Smirkus like? I've heard about that. That's a youth circus, and they have, what, a summer program? What's that like? Uh, it's fantastic. They have a camp that's like a regular summer camp with regular summer camp stuff, but you do six hours a day of classes or free training stuff with coaches in some circus tents in Vermont and you can do one or two week sessions so I did my first summer in 2000 in 2000 I did one week and then 
the next year went back for two weeks and then three weeks and then four weeks. And then they have a, a touring show, which is in a 800 seat tent and you do a two hour show, 30 kids and you audition in the winter. And then if you get in, you go once school's finished, you make the show for three weeks and then you tour for seven weeks. You do 70 shows with like a theme and clowns. And so my first year was Alice in Wonderland. So there was like a bit of a storyline and well, that sounds like some great initial performance experience. 70 shows. And, and how old were you? Like, just a, just a kid, huh? Yeah, exactly. From So I was 14 when I first did it. And the level's pretty high. Or at least when you're there, you feel like it's pretty high. Yeah, it's really invaluable. And it kind of draws talent from all over the country, especially these days. But even back then, it was... Yeah, there were people from St. Louis, Book, Book Kennison was mm, there. Okay, sure. Swedish people. And then who is it? Who are the instructors? Anybody we would know? Or did they have a juggling instructor? Um, one year, Fritz Grobe was the juggling instructor. Mm -hmm. That's an IJA name. Um, sure. He's also from uh, EP Bird, the gentleman yeah. with the Diet Coke and Mentos experiments. Yes. Fritz Grobe, also the only juggler to win uh, gold, I think, under the Capel system. And we had that back in the, in the IJA. What was the, that? Was, that was where it wasn't official that there was a goal. Well, what they wanted to do was they wanted to say that there could be more than one gold or nobody could win a gold. It was yeah. sort of based on the year's performance as if, if is there gold medal caliber performance? Because you could win and still get like a silver. Yeah. That didn't last very long. I think it was an experiment that went be three or four years and then they went back to the, the system they're using now. Right. Now, when did you guys decide to, because you, you basically at first put an act together with your brother, Nate. Well, so I did the... I did the tour my first year alone. Oh, okay. And yeah, Nate was into it. Nate was more into rope at the time when I first started than juggling. Into rope, you're saying? Into like rope walking or? No, into aerial rope. Oh, okay. As circus-wise. And he was getting ready to go to MIT and was getting into engineering and was into track and was kind of not as into it as I was. But I did the my first year on tour and he saw the show and heard about my experience and said, oh, God, that sounds like a good thing. So I'm going to get into Diablo a bit more. And then we auditioned together the next year and he got in. And so he just he just kind of said, oh, that looks like fun. Looks like something I should do. And he's your older brother, correct? He's your older brother? Yeah, two years older. So he saw you and said, OK, that's it. And now is this uh, a paid performance? I mean, is this something where the kids even get... Uh... Their first experience getting money or? No, no, you, you pay tuition. It's a nonprofit and their budget is tight. So the mm. they have some scholarships. I'm not sure what the tuition is now. I think back in the day it was three or $4,000. Now, why did you guys decide to specialize initially in Diablos? Why the Diablo? Oh, um, well, Fritz was my coach or was coaching at the advanced camp the last year that I did it. I think I was already into Diablo, but I don't know, when you're a kid, Diablo's like pretty cool, you know, when you're a kid. <laughs> I never got into it. I never liked the uh, okay. flipping motion you had to make with your arm to keep, you know, 
I like the devil stick because you pick up the devil stick, it just immediately restarts. But that, that was early on. It goes by its own rules. Like it's a, I've thought about my friend Noah Nielsen, who's at the National School in Montreal, and another guy, Guillaume, who's in the school in Stockholm, who are both kind of started out with Diablo. They're Diablo guys, but they're also able to learn other things. And Eric Longekel mm-hmm. is a good example of a great Diablo guy who's now branched out into other juggling disciplines. I think it kind of its own rules. You know, ball juggling, it does exactly what your body tells it to do. But Diablo kind of has like a fantasy element. It's like its own character and you got to kind of figure it out. And it's like you're interacting with something else. Not You're not blown with your juggling props. Yeah, and there's like string string issues, things you have to kind of go like, is the string new? Is it old? Is it is it binding? Is it? There's a different kind of problem solving involved. And the tricks are quite confusing and they don't necessarily work the way they seem to because the diablos are spinning so i don't know and i saw fritz doing it and it was that was inspiring and so then i was kind of already into that and then i started making up my own tricks my first year on on tour with smirkus and then also that summer was when the the mad french posse had been just putting out their first videos this is a group of french diablo guys who made a well-received dvd the Art of Diabolo, Diabology. I didn't think that three was possible, and then I found these internet videos kind of towards the end of my first summer on tour that really blew my mind. Guys doing tricks with three and side swaps with three high and all this stuff. So after my first summer on tour, it really took off. So that fall, I kind of was obsessed learning everything I could, two Diablo sprinkler stuff and three, and, and then my brother got into it also now what's the record nowadays are people doing five is there is there six what's the what's the high point of diablo uh, nowadays i don't uh i don't know what do you do you do you do four in your show yeah i do four high and now i'm i may finally be learning four low it's taking me a while because so yeah people are doing four low people are doing tricks with four low now so by four low you mean it like it's on the string it kind of like doesn't get like above your chin level it kind of all stays within that lower area Four low probably is about at chin level, though. It's a bit, but yeah, exactly. People are, some people do five high. Guillaume at the Stockholm School is working on five high. Tony Freiborg works on five high. There's probably a few. I guess Ofek did it. I don't know what he's up to. Yeah, four, I guess the, the big thing is that a lot of kids are doing four low. Four low, man. That must be very, very fast. Yeah, it's pretty fast. But the thing with Diablo is it doesn't take kind of the same upper body strength necessarily. I think it's easier for somebody young to put in kind of the obsessive time and learn three and four low. Hmm. Although kids, little young kids are learning seven clubs too. And when did this uh, Excalibur technique come into play? Oh, I think that was around in Europe in the 90s. But of course, all these things kind of exploded with YouTube. Because Diablo, you really, I mean, no, ball juggling and club juggling innovation also exploded with YouTube. But maybe since with Diablo, there was, it was kind of more of a problem-solving discovery element. It's not quite so clear what's possible. Then YouTube really helped, helped that. Well, I think the thing with uh, with Diablo was it stayed stagnant for so long. While yeah. other things were were improving, especially balls and clubs. Yeah. Uh, Diablo for such a long time was like oh, the elevator. And throwing it high in the air and maybe doing a cat's cradle or a pirouette. Yeah. yeah. And then it was Jeff Mason who was the first guy to really kind of 
expose the IJ to some of a more advanced Diablo. Then, of course, Fritz Groba, we were talking about that he was the only juggler to win a gold medal under the Capel system in the IJA doing a Di- Diablo act. Back in the day, huh? He was the first one. I was one of the judges. And I remember he really had a complete act with the music, the acting, flawless Diablo play. And also, I think he benefited because we weren't aware of a lot of the advancements that were being made in Europe in the Diablo. Yeah. So when we saw him, we were like, oh, my God, this guy is this Diablo. And he, he had become aware of those advancements? Well, like I said, this is the first time we saw them. So he must have been somewhere where he kind of got this new technique. And so he came back. We're like, wow, he's so far ahead of everybody else at this point that we had seen. Yeah. That contributed also to him winning the, the gold medal. Yeah. And what, what kind of Diablo would you recommend? I mean, do you have a particular favorite? Uh, right now, I use the Thai Below. It's quite good, plastic. And who, who, uh, what uh, juggling manufacturer could we look for those uh, selling those? Oh, in the U.S., I think JugglingStore.com carries them. Tybalo V2 is the Diablo. A bunch of it's pretty uh, spread around. How do you spell that? Ty Diablo. T a i b o l o. T a i b o l o. Yeah, but uh, Henry's Henry's Circus is also. I could. I don't know. I think I've seen. I was just at EJC, and I think I saw a lot of tie belows around. Does it have a bearing? What's the deal with the Diablos that have the bearings? Uh, eh. no, not into it. I'm not into it, but you can do cool. A lot of people do it for Excalibur stuff, and for kind of more yo-yo style, complicated string whipping stick. I mean, are there benefits? Are there disadvantages? Or yeah, in, ex- in horizontal, you can do these, in Excalibur, you can do these really long sequences without, and a few specific tricks that aren't possible with non-bearing. And for people who don't know, Excalibur is when you turn the, the Diablo horizontally or sideways to the audience. Yeah, yeah, I call it, I, I call it horizontal these days. Okay. I've, I've stopped saying Excalibur. Yeah, it's funny where these juggling names come from. Like that one is pretty much like, it has really nothing to do with the actual activity you're doing. No, I I don't know where. Maybe it's a European. Yeah, maybe someone didn't said Excalibur. I've done it, and that somehow stuck. I think horizontal definitely is a lot more descriptive. So these these bearing ones give you more more advantages when it's in that in that mode. Maybe it's a different. You can do different stuff. I guess I could do all my horizontal tricks with a bearing, but I wouldn't take advantage of it. You can just do like a really long sequence with it. Mm. I don't know, but for me, it's like the the Diablo's a lot more interesting when it's pulling on the string, and when it, with a bearing, it doesn't interact with the string. It's just like a dead object in your string, mm. and you can do what you want with it. It's kind of like a yo-yos. At a certain point, they put one that had a clutch in it, so it automatically returned. So they were trying to make it fancier, but you're like, I don't want it to automatically return at a certain point. Yeah, I don't. I don't use them. Yeah, like I said, I never got into the, the Diablo because I didn't like that whipping motion that I had to make with my right arm to restart. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, like I was saying before, like, like Devil Stick, you pick it up, it just goes. The yeah. Diablo, like, oh, I got to bring it back to speed. Now, of course, there's so many techniques to increase the speed much faster. It's still frustrating to go from training juggling to working on three Diablo tricks because then it takes, I'll, I'll do a long run of trying something and then get tired because it's quite physically demanding thing to do to work on three three low tricks your mm-hmm. shoulders get quite tired after a little while and then you just got to stop get them all going again to try things and when you're first learning of course like 
every every attempt takes a good 20 30 seconds to get all three going and then start yeah very other very few other props you have to kind of like get everything set and then re we get, we get the speed up again and that's why i say i never really got into them and initially when i first experienced them back in the the day it was so stagnant the diablo it was one of the props that back in the 80s people didn't really do much with cigar boxes and diablo were the two props that seemed to lag the most behind uh -huh. as far as and nowadays i think the diablo is really probably the the prop that's seen the most growth and the most explosion in tricks but people are still i mean people are still so bored by it like i hear so much still oh i hate diablo but i liked what you did <laughs> Well, I think for me at a certain point, it was like when I was doing the shows for the IJA, and you'd have the competitors, you'd have the, the kids from Japan, you'd have four or five Diablo acts. Yeah. Yeah, it's difficult to have more than one Diablo act in a show. But the, the, the kids who do, I don't want to say kids, but these, these young jugglers who do the Diablo, I think the Diablo lends itself to a certain performance style that's a lot more dramatic and exciting than some of the other props. If you look at like a Tony Freeboard. It's quite easy to be pretty big and dramatic with Diablo. Yeah, and like when I see, I saw the video of your guy's street show. Yeah. You don't really think of the Diablo as a street performance prop. But then you realize, wow, you guys do a very high visual, high impact show on the street using Diablos. Yeah, it's quite a, I mean, it's quite big. And that's, that's good. Oh, yeah, because I mean, especially on the street, especially when you have something that goes... What? How high does a Diablo go? Like a hundred feet in the air sometimes, and yeah, or probably more. I wonder if there's a record. There's probably a record of the highest. I'm sure there's a record. Yeah, Diablo. But if you get a real small Diablo, you can really chuck it. Also. Yeah, I worked with a guy in uh, New Zealand. I forget what his name was. Kind of a, a hippie Diablo. So his whole show was Diablo, and that's one of the things. You take one of these small ones, and he'd whip it hundreds of feet in the air and uh, attempt to catch it. The keyword was attempt because I saw him miss it. Uh, multiple times. But yeah, because they're susceptible to wind. You can really murder somebody. with one Yeah, when you're doing a circle show and you're surrounded by people and then that thing's coming down, you're like, oh, it's coming down into the crowd. Yeah, you don't want to be whacked from a, a Diablo falling from hundreds of feet above you, I don't think. Yeah. So now let's go back to the early days of Jason uh, Jacob Sharp because so you're in Circus Schmerkers, but at a certain point, you went to MIT as well and you have a degree in physics. I do. <laughs> so what? What? Uh, so at that point, did you say, "I don't want to be a professional juggler. I want to go in this other direction," or, or how did that that become part of your life? I wanted to be a professional juggler. I think that was the plan. But I got kind of told that uh, a smart kid should go to college, and a career in the arts is a real risk in America, and you want to have a backup plan. And also, my brother was already there, and it seemed like fun, and I was quite good at math, so. It was not kind of, didn't sound onerous, sounded cool to learn new math and physics stuff. And that's kind of a, there's a big expectation, especially, I mean, my parents are, my dad was a hobby juggler, but there's, there was not like much connection to the convention world or to the performing world in my family growing up. So there's a lot of expectation that you kind of go to college, especially if you can get into a place like MIT, then it's like, oh, you got to go there. I tell people I went to MIT, and Americans especially are, wow. Well, it's very impressive. I, mean, I look at uh, studying physics at MIT. I wouldn't say fun is the first word that, that comes to my mind. Oh, but yeah. And for most people, it's a harrowing, painful 
soul-destroying process. But I had fun. I didn't go to class too much. I did, I did quite well grades-wise, but I was doing all the learning and homework on my own. Uh, not for humanities classes, but for physics classes. And then, and I joined the gymnastics team. And I had a bunch of friends in circus school at the time who I would tell, I'm trying to like put together some sort of a circus school education. I'm doing the gymnastics team. I took an acting class. Gotcha. So even at college, you were trying to still keep your hand in. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that was still my passion and my plan for afterwards. And I did shows on campus. And every summer, my f- after my freshman year, I did a summer of solo street shows. And then after my sophomore year, my brother joined me and then each summer and then the for three summers, we did a duo street show. But yeah. And then so my third year, I MIT has an exchange program with Cambridge University in England. And I tried stand up the spring of my sophomore year. And my brother was going to do his master's at Cambridge. And he said, hey, you should check it out. And so I did, and then I found out that Cambridge University has a kind of history famous sketch and stand-up group. And I said, oh, this will be great. I can keep practicing with Nate and go a bit further in the direct stand-up and sketch comedy. And that's what I did. And in Cambridge, you really don't have to go to class because your whole grade is just this test at the end of the year. I did like less and less work over time. And then kind of the last month of my junior year, put in the work to get ready for this exam and did fine. It's, it was a bit easier than MIT. At MIT, the junior year in physics is murder. People don't sleep. People go through existential crisis. And I got credit for all of those classes with just a month of work at the end of the year. I did a lot of stand-up, a lot of juggling. That was kind of when I started exploring ball juggling stuff. Did a big sketch comedy show I was part of the cast for in the winter. That was pretty cool. To... So yeah, I kind of, I did, I worked hard on physics for my first two years. And then by my third year, I'd finished all the degree requirements because I'd kind of doubled up on classes my second year. And so my senior year, I actually only took humanities classes. I took two humanities classes each semester and focused again on stand up and uh, juggling. <laughs> So, and the street stuff, you were doing mostly in Boston? Is that true what your uh, street fit was? Yeah, at uh, Faneuil Hall. And what is, I've never actually performed in the Faneuil Hall. I, was, I went through there once. There were no shows going on. Uh, what's, what's it like out there? What's the, I know they've changed the rules, right? I mean, they have some new, reg, new restrictions. Oh, yeah. There was some stuff this summer. And I actually, I went, that's what I did this past summer was put up a solo show again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a really great pitch. And there's a you have to audition in April, and then they schedule month by month. So you put in a sheet of requests like a few weeks into the month before, and then they schedule the whole month. So you know beforehand all your two-hour spots for the whole next month, which is nice. And I imagine like Pier 39, there are better spots, like the weekend spots. or So does everybody kind of put in for those same peak spots? They only have two spots for big circle shows for variety acts. They're pretty comparable. One is maybe a bit bigger, but the biggest, most successful act working there, or one of them, uh, Alec Kazam, he's kind of a famous mm-hmm. street performer as one of the biggest solo shows in the world. He's like the gold standard. Like when people talk about hats, like the big hats got all the records. His name always comes up, Al Kazam, yeah. Contortionist and juggler. 
So he lives in Boston, which tells you about the quality of Faneuil Hall as a street pitch because that guy follows the money. Yeah. And also the vibe and the he likes Boston and his wife is there. He works the other pitch that is technically the less big one and he prefers it because I guess and he must make more money there. It's a bit quieter. Mm-hmm. There's There's still plenty of people because it's a bit more secluded. You can kind of build a, a more monster, more focused show, I guess. Now, after your your college career, did you immediately, did you do anything with your degree or did you get right back into professional juggling? I didn't do anything with my degree. I went right into uh, professional juggling. So we did one more summer of street performing. Let's see, I did a, a state fair with my friend Sam Johnson, who's a Smirkus alum and street performer who runs big state fair shows. And then I did the Midnight Circus in Chicago. And uh, that summer I'd done an audition for the Seven Fingers of Montreal in New York, just kind of an open audition trying to meet new people. And then they contacted me in the fall while I was in Chicago with Midnight Circus to ask if I could do uh, Loft, their original show. So to do a new cast of Loft that would play in Berlin Germany for a year and then I said yes sure and how old were you guys when you got to do the uh the festival de Cirque de Mont oh so that was that was when I was still in high school actually <laughs> yeah so we it was my it was my third year on tour Nate's second year on tour Fritz Grove was the juggling coach and we kind of put together our first real strong duo Diablo act with a bunch of real new duo tricks. And then we were last act in the show and it was a big success and we kept adding new stuff. And then halfway through the summer, we started doing five Diablo passing as our finale. And we kind of heard from an old Smirkus alum, Molly Sodek, who's one of the best wire walkers in the world who lives and works in Europe about this festival Cirque du Demain. I'd heard a lot about circus in Europe, that it was this cool thing and Cirque du Demain sounded like this incredible, magical circus Olympics and a foot in the door over there. So then we applied just with our act from Youth Circus. We got in. We got some fancy, snazzy costumes made and uh, practiced and went over and did it in 2007 in the winter. Is it just a single performance or is it a series of performances or how does that work? They've got a show A and a show B. And each show plays twice, and then the jury decides who to give the, give the prizes to, and they half of the acts, kind of all the ones who win stuff, go into the gala show, where they afterwards give out all the prizes. And does that have a certain age limit? Is that the deal? That's for, it's for young performers? Uh, kind of, but they bend their own rules a lot. They leave it open. They say, if you've come to circus late, or if you're a clown, or if you're the bass in a group, I guess the age limit is 27. Right. Or if you started a new prop, you can come back. I see. It's more about acts from the acts of the future, up and coming act. Yeah, try and take a mix of new stuff. And, and did you guys win any kind of awards or medals, or how'd your experience go? We didn't win a medal. We did get into the gala, and we did win like the honorable mention prize and then two special prizes. So each jury member gives out a specific prize, like the director of Circus Kobzov in Ukraine gives out the Circus Kobzov prize, and we got that, and the Circus Knee award, and then the jury prize, which is kind of 
they give out nine medals and then three jury prizes to the people who are just outside the medals. So there are about 24 acts, 12 play in the gala. So we, we made the top half. Mm, that sounds good. Yeah, I mean, I was 17, and we were fresh out of youth circus, so pretty good. But then when I went back last winter... <laughs> oh, you went back as a, as a solo? Yeah, and I did worse than we did. So I, by their standards, I haven't, I haven't learned very much in nine years of life and performing. Do you think because was it was a performance droppier, or what? What led to this uh, sort of decline then in their eyes? They like a pretty traditional style. Like the jury is kind of a mix of people running large corporate entity mm. shows in Europe, and I don't know. It's a lot of circus knee, these old shows or big stationary shows in France or Ukraine or Russia and then Cirque du Soleil people. This kind of like not not at all connected to the real contemporary circus world, but they draw a lot of students from contemporary circus schools and the audience is a lot of contemporary circus people. So there's a weird disconnect. So I remember seeing that and you were performing in kind of a more casual outfit, as I remember. I've kind of developed since that it's not my favorite act i think they they thought the costume was horrible and took issue with the whole vibe of it i actually i didn't get in with a video of that act i got in with a video of my act from a uh, circus monty where i was wearing kind of a snazzy traditional handsome guy costume suspenders and a tank top with sparkles on it mm -hmm. not over the top sure but more more sort of a traditional circusy look yeah, and music that had quite a lot of dramatic changes. So then they saw that I was going to, that I'd posted a photo of my new costume that I was quite happy with. And they saw I was going to use that. And they said, oh, are you planning to use that at the festival? Right. Please, please <laughs> do not. We strongly suggest that you come with your act from Circus Monty. We really liked that oh, one. Oh, okay. For me, it's it's not so much about the jury it's oh this is an opportunity to show something to this forum where all these circus school students are watching with wide eyes open i was gonna do something that i thought was cool i think what i did was pretty cool oh it was great i think it was like a like a hipster a lot of hipstery choices i've been doing street shows since then and it's been a good kind of humbling grounding learning experience but, and I, I was not so humble and grounded when I did the festival this last winter. But um, I, I still think it was a, a cool act, cool to do some disco stuff and really just do juggling for juggling and have the whole content, the whole artistic content of the act be really the technical structure and my research and how it all kind of fits together and makes this whole portrait of a certain kind of Diablo technique. But for them, there was no artistic content. <laughs> Well, it was definitely more contemporary, and it was like it was sort of a guy going, "Watch me juggle," as opposed to more, more sort of traditional circus with the movement and the posing and the the dramatic music changes. I really liked it, but I could see where they looked at it and said, "Well, eh, not not traditional enough." I talked to uh, Daniel Sear was on the jury, the Cirque Was guy. Is he the creator of the Sear Wheel? Yes. Oh man, okay. But he's kind of been working for Big Apple the past few years. Mm -hmm. And I talked to him a lot because I was going back to Montreal afterwards. And I talked to him quite a bit. And it sounds like the jury does a pretty sincere job trying to single out the new, the new stuff and 
which has the best artistic content, but for them and who they are and their taste, that really means there should be a story. We really like it if there's a guy and a girl and they kiss. Hmm, right. Sure. Some romance. Yeah. Still has to look good and sexy. And like my three favorite acts at the festival, none of them were in the gala show either. We had very different tastes. Now, but you have done well in competitions before because you guys are also IGA champions. You won the IGA teams in 2002? Two th- no, 2008. Oh, 2008. Okay. Yeah. What's been your IGA experience? Did you guys, had you guys competed before that? I don't remember. I do remember your winning show, but I forget if you guys were guys where it took a few tries or did you win on your first attempt? Uh, we won on our, our first attempt. First and only IJA competition. Nice. We were never, I don't know when my first IJA was. Maybe that was my first IJA. Mm. Do you remember what, where it was at in 2008? Uh, was that one of the North Carolina ones, maybe? Yeah, maybe. So I, remember, I, did, I remember I directed the show. I don't know, because I remember I had you open the show one time. It's kind of like a King Kong character. Yeah, I think that was in Lexington, Kentucky. Okay. Nate and I did the open. Nate and I emceed the welcome show. No, no, but then and then I performed in the show. But wasn't it in Lexington twice or something? No, it was in North Carolina like three times, I believe. Okay. Well, we'll look it up. We can look it up. So 2008, you guys are the, the team champions. Now, I guess Nate has gone on to sort of more of a, a regular real life. Are you now sort of a full-time solo? Yeah, I've been full-time solo. Let's see. Well, we, we did street shows for the last time in 2011. And then I went off to Germany because he's been working as an engineer since then. And he just had a child, if I'm right. He just had a baby? Uh, twins, actually. Oh, twins. Well, congratulations, Nate Sharp. Yeah. That must be cool. So you're Uncle Jacob now. I am. And the babies are starting to be uh, quite a bit of fun, actually. Oh, good. I guess babies are fun. I don't know. I, ha- I have dachshunds. Those are my, my babies. Well, the babies, until they're, I guess, what are they? They were born in January, so now they're eight, eight or nine months. Now they're starting to really interact back. They're not just absorbing. Right. Making noises and then looking for a reaction or... Yeah, now they're doing physics equations and and passing uh, five Diablos with you and stuff like that. So I, I imagine they'll have a great uh, great start in whatever they would decide to do between the the physics and the juggling. And also, she's quite a um, was she an American Ninja Warrior? Ah, uh, she, yeah, she she didn't make it on air, but she did get to compete. Well, that's cool though that she actually competed. I'm also a big fan of America's Got Talent. I know I'm uh, in the in the minority. What do you think about that? Will we ever see Jacob Sharp on America's Got Talent? I don't think so. They've asked us a few times. They've asked me because of pink shorts, but I never had an actual good ball act I could do out of that. Now I now these days I do, but I think probably not. I don't think my I don't think I'd be excited by much of the gigs I would get out of it. I think these days I want to do more contemporary circus, more back towards Europe, but in theaters, I mean in America too, but kind of presenting stage material that is more in a theater, art, government-supported kind of atmosphere. Now, you mentioned uh, the video Pink Shorts. That's the first time I became aware of you as a juggler outside of the Diablo. I'm like, wow, when did Jacob Sharp become such a good ball juggler? (laughs) And that was pretty amazing that you came out of nowhere with this video, and your technique was, was fantastic. Thank you. So had you been basically, you've basically been doing ball juggling, like you said, for quite a while. 
Actually, I think it was at my first IJA where we competed that I got balls. Mm-hmm. I got some naranjas, some Japanese uh, Russians from a vendor at IJA. I'd kind of stopped by during the week and juggled seven of them and felt like, oh, these are cool balls. And then bought them. And then, yeah, let's see. That was So that was 2008. Or maybe that was at IJA in 2009, because I think I was there in 2009. When did that pink shorts video come out? Must have been 2010. I think right at the end of 2010. I'll look it up on YouTube right now. But yeah, I think so. It was my last year at MIT. I filmed it in the squash court. I think I'd been doing balls for about a year and a half at that point. And were those uh, Russian balls that you were using in that video? Yeah, December 28th, 2010. Yeah, they're uh, Japanese Russians. They're the by Naranja, and they're the kind of the heaviest ball with the lightest shell. They've got a really thin plastic shell and this dense quartz sand. So they're really the kind of the maximum Russian effect. Yeah, I was talking to Joe Showers because I never really used Russians. And I really felt like, well, why are people using these? What are the advantages? Yeah. And he was talking about the fact that the ball doesn't spin in the air as being one of the big advantages. Ah, I've never thought about that. For me, it's most, it's like how they, well, I do all these stalls with it on my, like catch it on my, Mm -hmm. the top of my head and on my elbows. And also for slamming stuff like cross passes, Mm -hmm. then it settles quite well in your hand. That's what I always thought. I always thought it was just basically like when you see Victor Key and he has the ball basically like in his eye and he's kind yeah. of like doing this roll, you go, oh, because it's a Russian, it just kind of sits there. It has that, that really bottom-heavy effect. Exactly. But I got to try those again because I thought, oh, okay, I, I never really gave them, you know, it's the kind of thing where you, you juggle like silicons or bean bags. The first yeah. time you pick up the Russians, you're like, this doesn't feel very good. Yeah. Yeah, they take some getting used to. I mean, Tony and Wes don't, don't use Russians, so... Well, I'm not using them either, then, if Tony and Wes aren't, because uh, those guys are pretty much state-of-the-art, I think. I mean, they're so cool, those guys. That's what I'm saying. So like, if I can be as cool as them by just not using Russians, I, I'm, in that, I'm in that camp. So Yeah. Yeah, I just saw uh, Wes and Patrick. I was at the Israeli juggling convention, and they were the entire first half. I know you guys have been special guests there. Yeah. What, uh, what conventions have you guys been out to as guests, and what were some of the experiences like? Let's see, we went to the French juggling, no, the Rennes juggling convention in France, mm-hmm. and the BJC, I think we were guests once, and then we went another time and did our street show for free entry. We did Israel. Uh, I've been to the Berlin juggling convention twice as a guest. And any plans to get back to the IIGA? Oh, there's this uh, alluring $10,000 exactly. tag. Yeah. And I've got quite a ball act these days. I could maybe... I did hear a rumor that Anthony Gatto was going to come out of retirement to get that $10,000. Really? Well, they could be uh, wishful thinking or just one of those rumors. I heard a rumor Jacob Sharp is going <laughs> to... No, I don't know. Well, I saw it on Facebook, so it has to be true, right? So... Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you're a, you're a heck of a juggler. I don't know uh, if I had a handicap between you and Gatto. Of course, Gatto has been spending all that time doing concrete, so maybe he's... Uh... yeah. Kind of doesn't have the, the chops anymore. But yeah, that would be very, very interesting. I'm planning to go next year. I've already kind of put my name into the hat as uh, wanting to MC something or... Huh. I'd love to be invited to do the, the gala. And then if I could get flown out there to do Diablo in the gala and then compete balls, that would be fantastic. I don't know if the rules allow for such a... I, they, we've always had people who competed and then performed in the show. I don't know. If you're brought out as a special guest, yeah. I don't think you can actually 
be flown out and, and then compete. I don't think that's been done if you're brought out as a special guest to perform in the gala. Yeah. But I don't know. I'm not in charge of the show this year. I think they've already have their show directors. Of course, if I was a director, you'd definitely be a high. Do you know who they are? I, could, uh... I think it's Aaron Stevens is one of them. Oh, okay. All right. That's good. To... Thank you. Sure. Well, I mean, you're one of my favorite acts. I've always liked you as an opening act because, uh, boom, you come out and just, just rock it. So Aaron Stevens, if you're listening, which uh, I think she's in Peru right now at a juggling convention, a uh, big recommendation for Jacob Sharp and also let him compete. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Now, also, as recently I saw a video of you doing a club passing act. Yeah. And I got to tell you, my God, it's a great club passing act. So every time I see you, you've gone from the Diablo guy to just like this all around amazing juggler. Who's your who's your partner in that, and how how did that come about, and where 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 is that video from? Uh, that's uh, Mario Mundwiller is my partner. He's a member of the Circus Monty Mundwiller family. It's a, a circus in Switzerland that's been around thirty years. They don't have animals. It was just a school teacher kind of got into clowning and then said, "Okay, hup, let's make a new circus." And that was Guido Mundwiller, and his son, Johannes Mundwiller, is now running the circus. And his two sons, Tobias and Mario, uh, have been juggling in the show, although Tobias is done now. My ex-girlfriend was, had done it before and said, oh, Mario's looking for a partner this year. You should reach out to him. So I did, and I went to visit, and it didn't work out for that year. But then he said, yeah, come next year, because he gets to, in the past, he's been in high school, so he isn't able to attend every show. He kind of misses two or three a week. And so he's been able, he's picked a partner mm. each year. And then when he's not there, the partner does a solo. So for the 2000. 14 Circus Monty tour. I was in the cast. So I did a duo with him. And then I also did a Diablo duo with a whole bunch of the tricks from the Sharp Brothers. That's also online with his brother, Tobias. And I did a short ball solo every show. And then when Mario was gone, I would do uh, a longer second ball solo. So it was quite a lot of juggling per show for me, which is quite cool. We said we didn't know, I guess, beforehand what exactly we were going to and we started finding some good club passing stuff. And yeah, it's an amazing act, and it was uh, very solid. I think the the video I saw had no drops. We got quite solid after a couple months. It took a little while because I was. I mean, there were there were pretty burly tricks in there. Oh yeah, there's some high numbers. There's some really big tricks. Yeah, I'm quite happy with it. It's really simple, good energy, visual stuff, and kind of a nice structure that makes sense and keeps getting bigger and bigger. I really like five club exchange tricks. Like, uh, I remember that Vic and Natalie and Victor have some, just have like a simple act with a whole bunch of five club stuff. And I think five clubs in a duo is just great to do all the, like the five club pattern is just so inherently beautiful that, uh, you can kind of keep watching it, keep watching someone do different stuff with it for a long time. Yeah. I remember I should probably try to get Anatoly on uh, the podcast Oh. He, I remember seeing him and his partner with the Moscow Circus back in the well, 80s or 90s in Atlantic City. I love that act. Yeah, they had kind of the disco Russians. They would do the big 10-club passing where they stood on opposite sides of the circus ring. Yeah. And both would do five clubs. And then, of course, they, they would do it on the third try. Yeah. 
with a typical Russian, like, oh, so close, so yeah. close, boom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and of course, Anatoly, his son, uh, became a pretty decent juggler himself. Oh, I didn't know. His son is Vladik. Ah, okay, okay. Yeah, I don't know. How to, I don't. I don't want to try to pronounce their last name because I'm sure I'll get it wrong. But it's like, yeah, Masto Masto Pietrovich, something. Uh, yeah. But I knew. I knew because uh, they were working a lot in Atlantic City when Barry and I were there a lot in the 80s and 90s. So we saw Anat uh, Vladik from when he was like five or six. Yeah, Vladik has Miag Kostupov. And have you seen his new act where he's like suspended by straps? <laughs> yeah, I saw that. Insane. Yeah, great, great guy. Yeah, I should talk to Anatoly. People, he's one of those uh, unsung heroes where just a strong juggler and been been performing now. He's still performing with his wife doing a cube, cube manipulation and stuff like that. Also one of those sort of buff Russian guys, the chest, the, the, the teeth, the whole studly Russian thing. The teeth. What's with the teeth? Well, I always think of guys like uh, Tony Furco. You know, okay. Tony Furco. Well, I'm saying they have like the the build and the big smile and the all those good attributes for being a toothy smile. Yeah, the big toothy smile, the the open shirt, the whole the whole deal. Vladik has fan, has such great posture when he juggles. So he's one of the I don't know who else like him and Gatto. It just looks so easy for them to juggle seven balls. Just a, such a relaxed technique. Well, I think there's something for these guys that grew up doing it. Like if you look at like a Paul Ponce or Chris Cremo or, or a Bob Bromson, being born into it and basically from by the time you're five or seven, I think by the time he was seven, he was already what you'd say a very good juggler. Yeah. But then, of course, he added this artistic element that not a lot of jugglers can do. Sort of yeah. a Victor Key movement type of style. So he has the full package, uh, Vladik, of artistic and technical abilities. So he'll, and he seems to just work pretty steady. And a super nice guy, of course. So, yeah, all the best to, to Vladik and his family. Now, to get to as good as you've gotten, what is sort of a practice regime of, of Jacob Sharp? What do you think about practicing, and, and uh, what are some ideas about that? I mean, you're a daily guy. Do you have a regime, or does it come and go in spurts? I don't have a regime at all. No, I practice quite a, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. I've been doing, let's see, five or six days a week. I'd say four up to as much as six hours a day. But that's including some stretching and acrobatics sure. and handstands, but not mostly juggling. Yeah, these days I have a really, I've been kind of building just technique that I practice all the time. There's no stuff that I say, oh, this is solid, I'm not going to work on it. I only come up with new stuff if I am sure I want to do it forever. Mm. Like ball technique is quite finished now and I'm just learning it. And clubs, I have kind of a set technique that I'm learning solo. I'm open, to, I might find new stuff with that. But so every, all my tricks I practice kind of once every couple of days and I'll work on a given trick for five minutes, I guess, until kind of, I, I kind of follow how, for how long it feels like fun and exciting to do. You know, if I haven't done a trick for a couple of days, or if I say I, I do three clubs one day and I go through all the stuff for an hour and then two or three days later, I'll feel like, oh, I want to do three clubs again and it'll be exciting and I'll be kind of laying down a new layer, so to speak. There's no trick that I practice every day because I kind of, push it hard enough when I do do it that then for the next few days, if I consider practicing that trick in my head, it's like, ugh. No. <laughs> and what kind of act are you putting together for the future? Uh, are you going to focus on 
any particular prop or what's what does the future look like for uh, Jacob Sharp? Well, uh, it looks like I guess kind of building up towards a massive solo show that's got a on equal level a Diablo act. So that's quite finished my Diablo act and technique. Uh, there's a video online of the my show at the EJC, and I think that's kind of the definitive version of what the technique I'll do with Diablo is. Maybe four low, but then a ball act that is now quite finished. There's no video of it yet because it's not totally solid yet. It's pretty burly stuff. Uh, and then eventually a club act at the same level and length. I'm working on uh, learning big ball technique, and I'd like to do uh, an act with two big balls. But by big ball, do you mean like volleyball size? or No, a bit smaller, like rhythmic gymnastics ball size. But I like these Rastelli two ball figures, like double balances or one in a balance and one being juggled. So that's kind of, that's in the future for research for me. And also acrobatics. I'd like to do a full floor solo acrobatics act. Also, I'm learning head balance, like balance on my head. <laughs> okay. And I quite the the plan is to learn how to juggle eventually up to five balls in that. I can't. So you're talking about balancing on your head, like upside down. Yeah, yeah. I, so I'm learning a head balance. And of course, you know the red trouser guys. They're they're out there in. Uh, yeah, yeah. In, in, Boston. in Boston, one of them does a head. They do a head to head balance, and I think it's Tobin on the top. Yeah. Does juggling while doing a head to head with his partner David. Yeah. Yeah, they're great. You're out in Boston now. Who who's out there? Are you? Are you currently working the streets in Boston, or is the weather good enough to work? No, exactly. I think I might be done. I was doing a street show this summer, and it's been a great learning experience. And I thought it would be this good thing that could kind of give me freedom and kind of and something that I would enjoy. But I found that kind of I've changed a lot how I'm doing the show, and the show has improved. But the money is not following the expected up and up curve. And I think what I've kind of found is that it's kind of led me back to, oh, I just, I want to be on stage, not on the, on the street. Street shows are quite a kind of intense, specific thing where your relationship with the audience is, I need to be convincing you that this is entertaining. I need to be getting you to like me. And I think you can do very different material works on the street than works on stage. Well, you're pushed in a different direction, I think. You're yeah. pushed more towards what works to sort of get the money, unfortunately, on the street. Yeah, but I mean, that's that's also, if you're getting money, that means people are having a good time. If you're not getting money, it means you're not really connecting with people. In my experience, I mean... Well, you're not connecting in the street way. It just seems like that to connect on the street with a street show is so different because you're not always rewarded for originality or yeah, more of a subtle approach. Yeah, exactly. But if you are doing originality on the street and people aren't paying you, in my experience, I kind of feel that's because people aren't at, you aren't actually communicating anything. Like they might watch it and say, oh, that's interesting. But the difference between that and doing the same material on a stage and feeling the impact that you have in a theater or in a, for example, in a juggling convention show, it's just night and day. It's like huge. Well, people, they don't really appreciate sometimes the nature of the street performance where a lot of the times the audience is uncomfortable. Like they're, they're staring in the sun or they're cold or they're hot. There's yeah. lots of distractions. And of course, there's a, a big crowd. So maybe they can't even have a very good sight line. They're kind of trying to see from the back. And 
it doesn't really lend itself to a more of a theatrical presentation. Yeah, I've been finding that uh, I think I just want to work on stage material. and. So if do... you could do all those routines in a single show, that would be like the ultimate goal or, or, or your own show. Is that what you're looking to do? Yeah, and also with uh, some clowning and singing. I've been singing, too. Recently. Oh, well, you know, I was very surprised how good your stand-up was. Oh, thank day. you. I, I... I really enjoyed it. You were very quirky and had a funny... Uh, offbeat sense of humor. Obviously, you're a very intelligent guy. Uh, Thank you. MIT and, and getting a degree in yeah. physics. So I imagine, and like I say, the growth of your juggling and the, the breadth of the, what I've seen you do has been really, really impressive. So, so we'll end on that, me kissing your butt a little bit because we've pretty much hit our hour. It's a lonely butt, so thank you. Well, you know, as you say, it's a lonely butt or a lovely butt? Because that's... A it's a love... I guess it's... It's lovely. Maybe, <laughs> well, check I, out the check out the pink shorts video. Yeah, you can see my lonely butt in that video. Exactly. Well, on that note, we'll, we'll call that the end. Okay. Well, thank you, Dan. Okay. Hey, thank you so much, Jacob. Yeah. But that's it for Jacob Sharp on the Drop Everything Podcast. Thanks, Jacob. Thank you. Well, thank you, Drop Everything listeners. That was podcast number 25. A big thanks goes out to my guest, the fantastic Jacob Sharp. Let's also thank our sponsors, starting with the International Jugglers Association. That's the IJA. You can find out more about the IJA at juggle.org. Find out how to join this great group. Find out about their yearly festival taking place this year in El Paso, Texas at juggle.org. Let me thank my engineer. I haven't done that for a couple episodes, but I'm always very appreciative of the work that my wife does in the engineering of these podcasts. If it sounds good, that's because of the work of the fantastic Karen Holzman. Let's thank myself by giving my own personal coaching website another shout out. That's braindrizzles.com. I teach comedy, coaching, performance, mentoring, and so much more at braindrizzles.com. Contact me for a free consultation. And let me tell you how I can help you in your career and your life. All right, subscribe on iTunes, leave a five-star review, come up to me in El Paso, tell me if you enjoy the podcast, and until then, Drop everything except when you're juggling.